This is Raw Cut. Welcome to Life Burst. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. Today, another real life story from a real life person here in your community. Yes, welcome to Life Burst. Uh, it is great to have you joining us, uh, whether you are listening to us via radio, audio podcast, video podcast on Facebook or YouTube, or even on community TV. Uh, we are here to share stories, and in the studio today, we have Joe, who's joining us. How are you, Joe? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming in. Yeah. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing your story, mm-hmm. a story that uh, takes us uh, across the world and uh, through some challenges as well. Uh, where did life start out for you, Joe? Uh, well, I grew up in the hills and um, uh, you could call me a church baby. Um, family was Christian, so grew up in that sort of Christian environment, gave my heart to God when I was very little and that was a very, I guess, important part of um my life growing up, especially facing a lot of challenges that I did. So when you say you gave your heart to God, what what, what does that mean? Uh, I guess it means I decided to follow Jesus and make him my saviour, make him my all of my life. Okay. Um, what, yeah. uh, what age did you do that? That's... I think I was about three. Okay. It was one of my earliest memories. I think we've got a photo of you back when you were uh, a youngin as well. Um, so uh, uh, maybe not three years old here, but um, yeah, there's possibly about that age. About that age, <laughs> yeah. okay. So so pretty young. So you had influences around you that uh, that caused you to make that decision for yourself that this is. I did, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, you've alluded to some challenges uh, along the way. So was growing up for you like all the other kids that were around you? Not quite. So I have uh, Turner syndrome, which is the short stature, among other things, and also neurofibromatosis, which is the growth and discoloration on my neck. So uh, that presented a lot of health challenges growing up, a lot of time in and out of hospitals and doctor's appointments and different things, and also being different from the other kids around, um, shorter than all the other kids and... um, yeah, just obviously different than the others, got teased a bit, but um, throughout that I was my faith played a big part in um, knowing who I was as a person and being able to rise over those challenges. See, many people would say, you know, if God loved you, why would he make you go through all this stuff as a kid? What do you say to that? Yeah, that's um, a really tough question I think and Mm. um, one that I've wrestled with over the years but Mm. I think sometimes bad stuff happens in this world and um, regardless of that God does love me God does love everyone and my unique experiences have enabled me to share with other people and um in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise had I been, I guess, a normal kid. Yeah. Mm. That's an excellent answer. <laughs> yeah. At what age did um, the symptoms become uh, things that, that affected your life in a, in a way different to the kids around you? Uh, so they pretty much diagnosed me from birth with the Turners. Right. And um, the discoloration and growth started when I think I was about two 
so even from then, um, I was different. And, yeah, when I went, hit school, noticeably shorter than the other kids, especially when they all started growing more. And um, my brother, younger brother, who's three years younger than me, um, people thought we were twins because I was that much shorter. Mm. So, um, which is kind of cute. But yeah. <laughs> Yes. I know uh, everyone's experience of school is different, but many people, uh, you know, the best of times, kids are cruel around uh, and they, you know, they find things to to bully and pick on. So that was your experience at times? Yeah, at times. I mean, yeah. I had some good friends around me as well, yeah. but there was also those who would pick on me, call me names and things. And yes, you know, um, kids are kids sometimes, aren't they? Mm. Mm-hmm. And how did you, uh, you mentioned your faith, but uh, what, what, helped you get through that bullying to, uh, you know, claim your own identity? Um, one moment that comes to mind, I think I was about grade four, they started calling me slowy because, you know, I couldn't run as fast as the others, obviously I had shorter legs than everyone. Um, I think probably came from slowy, joey was, you know, uh, okay. sort of thing. And for some reason I just refused to take that name. I'm like, I'm not slowy. So I started calling myself the opposite. I started calling myself Speedy. Ah, a new identity. Yeah, a new, yeah, new identity. Yeah. So what would you say to kids who are getting bullied at school for something that they don't have control over? Um, good question. We're full of them here at Life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What would you say? I guess... Listen to the voice inside your heart rather than the names that others are calling you. Uh, know who you are. Sometimes it's hard to discover who you are, but when you discover that person inside and you listen to that voice rather than all the names the other kids are calling you, then you can rise above it and you can hold your head high. Mm-hmm. When you were in a situation of you know, these kids coming against you and pushing against you and who you were and trying to change and your identity itself, what did your friends around you do to help you? Um, I guess one of the main things I think is just that they stayed friends. They were there for me and they treated me as normal. I think that was um, quite a very important part of it, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now tell us, when you were in hospital, what type of fun things did you get up to with the other <laughs> kids? Amongst everything else, what other fun things did you get up to? So um, I had a couple times, probably what was more doctor's appointments rather than long stays in hospital mm-hmm. when I was growing up. But uh, when was it, 2009? I had a long stint in hospital where the growth on my neck was um, had grown a bit more and it was constricting my windpipe. Mm-hmm. And so the doctors thought it's getting a bit dangerous. If something happens, I could stop breathing. So I had to go into hospital to have some of the growth removed. It was supposed to be about a, you know, serious but standard um, operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably been in hospital 10 days at most. I ended up being in there for 47 days. Wow. 47 days. 47 days. So what type of fun things did you get up to in those 47 days? <laughs> so um, three weeks in ICU. Wow. I had a tracheostomy, which is the pipe in your throat, so breathing through the pipe and the hole in your throat. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, they had to put that in before I went under the anaesthetic, mm-hmm. which was kind of scary. But, um, yeah, it was it was a long battle um, back to health, that one. Could you feel it going in when they were putting it in? Um, they had a local anaesthetic, but I could feel some bits. Yeah, it was scary. I was holding the nurse's hand quite tightly for mm-hmm. that one. Yeah. And you were, how young were you at this stage? Uh, 20... One twenty-two, okay. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Still. Yeah. No. <laughs> Still young. Yeah. Wow. Still yeah. very young to mm. be doing these things. So you were in ICU. You remember much from that time? Not a great deal. I was pretty out of for, for most of it, thankfully. I think. Um, but I do remember the times afterwards, um, sitting in the hospital waiting, and the um, I ended up having the tracheostomy for nine months after that. Because they'd try and remove it a few times in hospital and it just wouldn't come out. So they had to put it back in because the airway was collapsing. Um, because I had that, I wasn't able to talk for that time that it was in mm-hmm. and until they put the cap on. So I wasn't able to talk or eat for three, four weeks. Had to learn to talk and eat again pretty much, which was wow. interesting. Yeah. Right. That's huge. It's really, it is very big. And we'll be back to hear more of this incredible, life-changing story straight after this here on Life First with Matt and Sarah. If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app, or you can share this on social media. So besides all of the hospital stuff, there was something else that you've gotten out to for 20 years, is that right? Yes. Yes, okay. Mm-hmm. Tell us about this. It's really exciting. So when I was seven, mm-hmm. I started doing the uh, World Vision 40-hour famine. Uh-huh. Um, just did the kids' version back in the day. But I, yeah, started um, age seven and kept on doing it for 20 years. Wow, that's pretty significant. Yeah. What is it? What, what is the 40 so 40 hour famine is a fundraiser for world vision mm-hmm. um where you go for food without 40 hours to see what it's like um for the children overseas living in hunger and you raise money um at the time people sponsor you either per hour or just give you a general donation and um yeah you raise money for buying um people food or um, animals or water wells or different things like that. Mm. Okay. A great, uh, great cause because you, mm. you raise those funds uh, each year. How did you, experiencing that, particularly in the early times, did you have some times where you got really, really hungry by the end where it, uh, it did things for you that you learnt from? Um, yeah, I, I did. I mean, I was, I think, stubborn, so I would just not want to eat even yeah. though Mum's like, please, please just eat something because, you know, little me, um, especially in the younger years, not having anything to eat. And she's like, my my child's not eating. But um, even though I was hungry, I'm like, no, the kids overseas don't get to eat. I'm not going to eat either. So I stuck to it. Yeah. Yeah. But as 20 years went on, how did you stop yourself from eating as you got older? (laughs) Um, Determination, uh, distraction. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you're allowed juice or water. Um, they have barley sugar every four one every four hours was the rule. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I stuck to the food famine because that's what I started up with. A few of my other friends did different things as well, like fasting um, furniture or no talking or um, no seeing for the 40 hours. So, yeah, it's all different things you can do for that one. Oh, there you go. Well done. <laughs> 20 years, that's a, that's a milestone. Did mm, you get yeah. a, get some kind of certificate at um, the got, end? I've <laughs> got certificates for him, yeah. 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 Doing what, um, volunteering for them as well. So it was right. a... You know, big passion for me, just, yeah. you know, helping those less fortunate. Yeah, fantastic. So as you went through high school, um, did you have some sense of what you thought you might do uh, beyond high school? Was it a, a dream, a passion? Um, I, from a very young age, always wanted to be a writer. Mm -hmm. And that's what I am now. <laughs> you are a writer. Yeah. You've lived out your passion. I have. Yeah. So what was the pathway for you to becoming that after school? So I went to uni to study a Bachelor of Arts in Creative Writing. I uh, did that at Tabor. They've got a great creative writing program there. Um, met some really great people. One of my lecturers ended up being, uh, her name is Roseanne Hawke, and I read her books as a kid. And then suddenly she's my uni lecturer, so that was pretty amazing. Right. Yeah. Okay. And how did you find the process of uh, taking this dream and actually having to study and to learn uh, to craft it um it was good yeah I found the um tips and the study and different things of how to develop your writing um quite fascinating and it made mm. you really think about what you were doing instead of just off at the top of your head which is great to start with but um then thinking about well what else does your character think about and um one of my things that the le my lecturer said was to develop the character, you say, well, okay, what might they keep in their pocket? How do they eat a plate of spaghetti? Mm -hmm. You might not put these things into your story, but it helps you think about who your character is. Great. I hadn't thought about that before. No, no. It's a <laughs> now I'm going to read a book and think, how would this character eat a plate of spaghetti? <laughs> it's, it's a very helpful tool when you're developing who they are. Yeah. Uh, so I think we've got a photo of your graduation. You, you're stuck at it with uni, yeah, yeah. and uh, you were able to uh, to do that and finish that. How many years was the the course for you? Mm. Uh, it was a three year course, but I did it over four. Just mm -hmm. take that a little bit extra time, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what have you been able to do with your writing since then? Um, yeah, did you have did it has it worked out in the way that you hoped for? And what are some of the opportunities you've had? Um, well, I've, through my writers group, we started off, um, my uni friends got a writers group called Literati. We've written a handful of anthologies with different stories in, so I've been able to be published there. Um, and What's the anthology? anthology? Anthology, so it's a collection of stories written by um, various authors. Okay, I've learned something new today. There we go. Mm. Use that one in Scrabble. Right. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> Good tip. Right. So, yeah, so that was a beginning. You are able to do that? Yeah, and um, I'm building up my own writing business. Uh -huh. So, freelance writer. Uh, my business is called Write It Up. Okay. And I do, um, I guess, whatever writing people need. I don't write their essays for them, though. Oh, I'll edit okay. the essays, but I won't write them. Right. Um, but do uh, CVs and cover letters for people's work. I love writing poems for people's birthdays or special events. Um, editing other people's manuscripts as well and um, helping them to um, get a finished product. It's good fun. 
Okay. And I think you've had a few uh, newspaper articles as well. Yes. I um, worked for, volunteered for Hills Volunteering and was doing some work with them. Um, And then also I've worked overseas as a journalist in Israel. Okay. Which was absolutely incredible and dream come true. (laughs) Okay. Well, we, uh, we better talk about that then. Um, what's, uh, what was the process? How did you, how did you end up in Israel? Yeah, that's just asked, how did you end up in Israel? <laughs> to begin with? Yeah. So, um, someone from a nonprofit organization called Bridges for Peace came to my church and started talking about it and it just sparked interest within me. And, um, from that moment on, whenever someone talked about Israel, it just grew more and more of a passion in my heart until I'm like, I have to go over there. And so I applied for a internship program mm-hmm. um, called The Zealous Project, where it's sort of a live-in discipleship program. Mm-hmm. Ten, people, ten young adults from around the world come in and live together and work with Volunteer for Bridges for Peace and um, experience life and the culture over there. Wow. Okay, so you were one of ten. You were in a strange land. Um, you'd heard some stories about it, but what was it like being there for the first time with this uh, group of strangers? It was absolutely amazing. A little terrifying at the start because <laughs> I'm the sort of person who um, doesn't even like to go to the movies by myself. So here I am on the other side of the world <laughs> all by myself with people I don't even know. Mm. Um, but I had a moment um, actually when we were going on the tour at the very very beginning and we were on the Sea of Galilee. And up until that moment, I'm trying to tell, you know, self-talk that, no, it's going to be okay. You're here for a year, but no, don't freak out. It's going to be okay. You know how those thoughts sort of go Mm -hmm. in the back of your head, but you can't get rid of them. So um, I had this sort of playing in my head until that moment I stepped onto the boat of the Sea of Galilee and instantly they just left. And I just felt such a peace as I was on that boat ride and um, those fears um, didn't come back. Wow. Why do you think that happened? Um, Well, if you know the Bible story that um, Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee during a storm Mm -hmm. and the disciples were freaking out because they thought they were all going to drown and Jesus said to the waves, peace, be still. And I firmly believe that that peace is still there today. You Mm. You can feel it there. Right. Yeah. yeah. And where in the Bible can people find that? Do you know um, that off the top of your head? Either of you? In the Gospels. So okay. I can't remember the exact chapter, but you'd probably find it in Matthew or Mark or one of the others. Mm. Yeah. Great. So there was no storm, physical storm that no day. No storm for me. But you could but feel it, the anxieties and the things. The storm that, was happening in yeah. your mind. Yes. And then he calmed it. Great. Well, I'm sure there's some more great stories from Israel to share as well as you went over there. This is Life Burst. We're chatting to Joe. Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. So, Joe, tell us about this particular picture that we're bringing up on the screen now for those who aren't listening aren't watching us that are listening. Picture of so, crossing a river. Crossing yes. a river in Israel, yes. Yeah. So um, 
as part of the trip, we went on many tours and different things to places. And one of the things we did was the Jesus Trail, which is hiking 72 Ks from Nazareth to Capernaum, ending up at the Sea of Galilee. In wow. how many days? Four days. So there was a lot of walking. walking. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, this picture is one of the days. Um, I swear we crossed this river about ten times, <laughs> weaving throughout the valley, trying not to get our feet wet. Um, but, yeah, it was just incredible to walk the land. Um, there was some serious hiking there, going up mountains and down the valleys and different things, carrying our packs I was worried at the beginning because I did not know if I would make it. But again, I'm stubborn and nothing was going to stop me. So good job. I managed to get to the end of that 72 Ks. And um, yeah, it was, I'm really proud of that achievement. So. <laughs> I would be too. Well done. Yeah. Mm. Well done. Well done. So you would have seen lots of beautiful places along the way. Talk us oh, through there that walk. So many beautiful things. Um, just the plant the animal life everything um one scene that particularly struck me it was uh after lunch on a hot day we're all tired our packs are heavy dragging our feet and we come into this valley and as i hit this valley i just stopped dead because there in front of me is this scene and it could have been it was straight out of a story that i had already written and so it wasn't just all this could, you know, possibly be from this story. It's like, no, that's exactly how I imagined it. Mm. So these um, golden wheat fields, this path and the hill in the distance um, where my main character, the young girl, cuts across the neighbour's paddocks even though he doesn't like it instead of going around the mountain to get home from school. And it was just that right there in front of me. I was gobsmacked. Mm. Now, in this picture, was it raining? Was it sunny, overcast? Oh, beautiful like? sunshine lighting up the hill, lighting up the golden fields. Mm. It was amazing. Wow. So let's just pause on Israel for a moment. Tell us about this story because uh, it was this is one of the many stories. You, was it a short story? Was it a novel? Um, no, this is still in the works, uh-huh. one of my major pieces. Uh-huh. Um, it's a fantasy piece about a young writer who gets into their own story. Okay. Um, so it was sort of started off with, you know, the questions about what happens when heroes fail and what makes a hero and um, how, does a he- how do you know when you've succeeded and come to that, you know, final end of your story type thing. Mm-hmm. And so out of these questions began this story and this adventure of, you know, what really makes a hero. Okay. Yeah. That sounds very intriguing. It does. It's not finished yet. Not, not finished. finished yet. So a work in progress. Work in that, progress. All going well. When would you hope to have this uh, ready for the world? <laughs> That's an ambitious <laughs> question That's... there, Matt. Oh, oh, oh what very ambi- yeah. ambitious question. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. Yeah, yeah. One is sort of the question you don't really ask a writer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, no, this one, it's probably going to take a while. I've put it aside to work on a few other projects at the moment that'll probably get done quicker. But, um, yeah, it's probably one that's closest to my heart. Yeah, beautiful. So when you saw this scene and you're with those groups of people, back to your time in Israel, uh, what did you share with those people that were around you about this scene? Um, Once I got my voice back of being gobsmacked, I'm like, 
I wrote this, I wrote this. And then I, you know, was able to explain and share the story to them a bit as well. Mm. Um, especially around um, campfire at night, we had debrief and sharing about our day and stuff. So I was able to share it with them then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what, what was their reaction? Yeah. Um, they were quite surprised, yeah. Although I don't think they quite felt the significance that I did because I was the one who wrote it and how can it possibly be writing there in front of me? Mm. Yeah. But um, in a way I felt maybe that one of the reasons I had come to Israel was so I could finish this story because that scene and so many other scenes gave me inspiration for it. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I've been to Israel myself and uh, one of the things that struck me is just how hilly Oh, how, you know how mountainous <laughs> it is, um, how dry in oh, some parts. Oh, so many hills. Yeah, what was what struck you? Uh, um, what were the many things that struck you, perhaps, on your journey? Yeah, I guess it really brought the Bible alive to me. I mean, here are the places that are actually written in the Bible in the history stories where Jesus walked, where um, Abraham and Moses and all those other people in the Bible actually were and here i'm standing in the same places mm. did you have a particular highlight apart from those you just shared um, of your of your time in israel um oh gosh there are so many i yeah. could share oh, we've got time um, we've got time you can share all of them <laughs> that's fine <laughs> there was um one moment where we actually got a sneak peek onto what they call the pilgrims road um the old Jerusalem city called the, um, they know it now as the city of David. They're excavating that and g- discovering more things um, every day. And it's not, I'm not sure if it's open to the public now, but at the time it wasn't open to the public, but we got a sneak peek into the Pilgrim's Road um, that led, the, the original road that led up to Jerusalem. So that's where Jesus would have walked. And the stones, they found the old original stones, which are, you know, massive big slabs um, worn down by the feet of many people walking up to the pilgrimage, to the temple, and um, you could just sense the history in the place. Mm. Wow. So a, uh, not just a, a tourist over there, you were a pilgrim in a way. You've, it, yeah. It, it, like a, a, a deep experience for you. Yeah, and I think um, I'm so glad I got to stay for that um, whole year because there's so many things to see. I didn't even see them all. But um, you get to experience the culture as well, just walking down the street, seeing all oh, the different people there, the secular, the ultra-religious, all mingling together. And it's just something that's really so unique that you can't experience on the two-week tours. Mm. Tell us about the people, what they're like over there. Oh, the people are lovely. It's amazing. Um, very forthright and they'll speak their mind, which is really quite refreshing. But um, at the same time, you, like, you could argue with someone on the street about politics or religion, total stranger arguing with them, and you'd walk away shaking hands, being friends. Because um, uh, they joke that you've got two Jews and three opinions because <laughs> they're, you know, very vocal about what they say, but... It's okay if you disagree with them, and that's totally fine. And um, it's all about understanding each other. Um, 
and being accepting of each other. And I think that's just really, really refreshing. Mm. Talk about the clothing and different types of things that you needed to wear or, or not wear when you were there too. So when I was working in the office, we had to um, have um, below the knee and no shoulder showing. Um, if you're the ultra-Orthodox or the Orthodox families, they'll um, wear um, the... The ladies will have no elbows showing either, so they'll wear long sleeves. What's all the orthodox time. and non-orthodox so, for people who don't know? Yeah, so that's the orthodox is the religious Jews who keep the um, the Torah laws, so the Old Testament laws as we might know them, um, quite strictly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the ultra-orthodox will be um, even stricter again. Um, but they... The thing I love about it as well there is that they don't see it as, oh, I must follow these rules. It's something that's a joy for them to do, to to follow those rules. So it's really, it was, yeah, really eye-opening to see how they viewed um, the world as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to come back to the second half of that question after the break here on Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects 1 in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a Raw Cut Community Service Announcement. This is Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. Now, Joe, continue talking us through what type of clothing you needed to wear when you were in Israel. So, yeah, for the office, like I said, we had um, a certain dress code. Um, that was mainly to res- out of respect for um, our Orthodox community that we associated with. Mm-hmm. When we were just walking the streets, we could wear whatever we want um, when we're on our own time. Um, cause you really, you've got such a mix. You've got the secular, you know, wear whatever they want. Then I, s- I said, you've got the ultra Orthodox. So you'll see them in their white shirts, black pants, big black coats, um, big funny black hats as well. Um, it was really just a whole mix of different people. It was really quite beautiful to see actually the ultra Orthodox fathers in their, um, black and white clothes. And all their children following them, they'd look after the kids. And you've got all the kids dressed up in their little strappy shirts. Um, and their dad's pushing the pusher. Just walking down the street next to someone who's totally secular or Muslim in a hijab um, right next to them. It was a whole mix of different people. Yet within that, there was something uniquely Israeli about them too. Okay. Yeah, wow. So... Uh- after your initial experience of it being, um, you know, a, a whole other world, uh, you, you kind of got used to the, the setting, the, uh, the, the, the dress, the clothes, the different foods. Uh, what, what's, what was the biggest challenge uh, through all that um, coming from Australia? Um, I guess the pace of life over there is quite fast, quite intense. Everything's... Um, Yeah, there's an intensity about it there that I wasn't used to, especially volunteering, working full-time over there. Um, It was hard to keep up um, 
in that course as well. But I, you know, just tried to embrace it all, embrace the culture. Loved the food. Mm-hmm. You can't get a good falafel over here, but over okay. there it was amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I just tried to take it all in my stride. Yeah. How did you deal with that pressure? What does that feel like um, inside? Um, there were moments that, yeah, it was tough, especially when there was different things going on, that the job was hard work. Um, but I had some really good support around me. My boss, she was amazing. Uh, she'd push me and sometimes you would just be like, enough already, I don't care. If, like, you know, you could, she'd be like, you could probably make this little paragraph a bit better and work on this sentence and this and like, I don't care, I just want to get it done. Mm-hmm. But she pushed me because she knew I could do better. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, she was just so caring, so lovely, so encouraging. And, um, yeah, the team really just felt like family. Mm. What does a work day look like in Israel? In Israel? So I was working uh, at head office for Bridges for Peace, doing um, my official job title, which sounds really cool, was um, international um, content editor. Um, very so, cool. Very cool. <laughs> that sounds good. So I was... Um, editing and um, uploading news to our website. I was writing news stories myself, um, editing the teaching letters that went out, um, editing our and writing articles for our magazine that goes out just to give people a true view of what goes on in Israel because what you see in the West isn't always what happens. Okay. Yeah, so that would have been interesting. Uh, did you learn some things, uh, you know, being over there and in the midst of it that uh, that you wouldn't have known back home? I learnt a lot, mm. a lot of things. It really opened my eyes to um, the way the world works, the way media works, um, and just a whole another cultural worldview. We're so isolated in the West, I think, and just to have a different culture... Um, that you're exposed to is, um, yeah, it just really opens your eyes to people think differently. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So you were in this this place. Uh, just take us back to some of the other places you visited in Israel that uh, that uh, you it inspired you, or um, you know, that was just good to be there. What other places did you see? Um, oh, we went everywhere down south to the Dead Sea to. Um, Timna National Park, rock climbing there, um, to up north to the uh, Mount Hamon Ski Resort. Yes, there is snow in Israel. Right. Um, which you wouldn't think. You'd think it's a desert, but up north on the borders with Syria and Lebanon, they've got a ski resort up there, which um, while I was there, I actually got to see the Iron Dome missile defense system in action. Wow, okay. Which was quite amazing. So um, we were waiting in, I say in line, but it was really a mass of people because Israelis don't do lines. (laughs) So this mass mass of people and um, we're just waiting to go up in the ski lift and suddenly I hear this noise about 15 metres to the side of me like a almighty rush of wind or a plane taking off or something and I see these two missiles streak across the sky 
And instantly I know what it was. It was the Iron Dome defense system. And I'm thinking, but it took me a little while to realize, okay, if that's the Iron Dome defense, then that means another missile is coming towards us and that's there to shoot it down. So it was, you would think it would be scary, but at the time it wasn't. Um, it's something I think that a lot of Israelis are used to. Um, I think I was more scared afterwards realizing what actually happened but yeah I just these two missiles streak across the sky disappear into the distance and about 20 seconds later I hear a boom and everyone goes back to their day at the ski lift wow okay wow <laughs> a whole nother world whole nother world yeah yeah uh so and you you went to a lot of the places you went to the the, the sea of galilee you, you yes. sort of walked in the footsteps of jesus in some ways uh, mm -hmm. were there other things that struck you or surprised you uh in, in visiting those places um i think just how much history there is wherever you go there's something there that dates back to so many years mm -hmm. And has such a significance too. It has meaning everywhere you go. Yeah. Now, was there one place that you really wanted to go to when you were in Israel? And did you get to go there? Um, I think probably I was really excited to get to the Sea of Galilee. Okay. Um, I went to, yeah, so many places. It was just so incredible. The Garden of Gethsemane did all the tours around Jerusalem there. Um, visited Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum. That was um, quite eye-opening as well. Mm, yeah. um, every place I went was special. Mm. Mm -hmm. It struck me when I was over there how many uh, layers of history. You talked about uh, digging down to the City of David, but even yeah, Jerusalem is... Uh, you know, there's not just 2,000 years of history there, but even beyond that, uh, and the city's built on in layers on top layer of layer upon layer. So when upon layer. Finding history, they have to dig down, you know, under someone's house or a road or a shop, mm -hmm. and uh, and get down to uh, yeah, quite a way down some of it. Uh, and they're still unearthing lots, and and some may never be unearthed. Yeah, yeah. every day they're discovering something new. Mm. Yeah, fascinating. At some point, you needed to leave Jerusalem and yeah. Israel and all those places. When did that happen? How old were you? How did you feel? Did you want to come home or not? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had the opportunity to stay longer, but I just felt that it was time to come home. I dearly missed my family. We're quite close. So, yes, I was excited to come home, but at the same time, I did not want to leave. My mm. heart was torn in two, and I think some of my heart is still over in mm. Jerusalem at the moment. Yeah. Oh, what a great opportunity. Yes. Yeah, thanks for sharing that with us Thank as you. well. Thank you. We'll be back with more Life Bursts with Matt and Sarah straight after this. If you think more people should listen to this, share this podcast on social media. We are chatting to Joe here on Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. And Joe, you came back to Australia to life here. Uh, you've been in Israel, but uh, 
there's another kind of multicultural thing that you've been doing in your own way that's been a part of your life for some time. Tell us about this uh, kind of hobby sport that you've been involved in. So I um, am involved in karate. Right. And I'm actually a karate instructor. I'm a sensei. Uh-huh. That sounds that sounds pretty uh, important. <laughs> we should uh, give you some respect, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, how did you get involved in karate? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it was probably a couple of years after I'd gotten out of hospital. Right. And I'd gotten my health back, but right. I hadn't gotten my fitness back. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, do I go to the gym? Can't really reach any of the equipment or the exercise bikes because I'm too short. Don't like Zumba, so I'm not going to do that. And um, one day a guy came door knocking, asking, do you want to join a karate club? And I was like, why not? There you go. And um, from then on, I've just, yeah, um, gone from step to step in that and absolutely loved it and um, surprised how far I've come. I wouldn't have thought I've um, gotten anywhere near as far as I have, but, yeah, it's just been amazing. Okay. So you say you're a sensei. So t- talk talk us through the steps the steps up in karate. Uh, we know about belts. Well, yeah, I do, so but I know a little. <laughs> yeah, tell us about it. So in my club, the sensei program is a little bit different than the belts. Okay. If they see your potential and see how you can help others, they'll put you through a sensei training program. So you can get that without being a black belt yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have ten grades of coloured belts. And um, starting from white, yellow, orange, up to brown. Um, and then you go to black. So just before I left for Israel, I graded to first Q, which is brown belt with two black tips and the last step before provisional black belt. Okay. That's pretty significant. Well that was, oh, I was so glad I graded just, it was just before I left. It was such hard work that grading but i made it and uh it was incredible well done yeah absolutely is there any type of moves you could teach us sitting down without hitting a microphone (laughs) that maybe people who are watching could do uh i've got the the side back fist here um oh okay yeah if you're close enough you'd probably um hit each other on the nose (laughs) 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 you hear that no okay let's do it okay okay so it's like this so I yeah, right. yep. right. point your elbow out and um, okay, aim got their nose. Fist together for those who are listening. Yeah. Um, fist one out. on top of the other, elbows out, and then uh, whack in the nose. <laughs> Go ahead, do it. Kind of like Why you're are you whacking me. You whack her. <laughs> are, you, are you allowed to do both? Oh, okay. no, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm that's how you block. <laughs> you underestimate. So it. it's it's kind of like flicking your tea towel. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, that that I can do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, is it a violent sport? Is it um, is it something that is meant to uh, train warriors? How does it work nowadays, or is it just for fitness? Um. Some of the moves, if done properly, can be quite damaging, Mm -hmm. but a lot of it is about teaching control. Mm. And the, a lot of it is teaching how not to be in a fight. The best way to win in a fight, to win a fight is to not be there. Okay. So um, it gives you the confidence to be able to get away from that as well. So it teaches you control. It teaches you respect for yourself or um, for your opponents. Um. It teaches you to um, keep on going and not give up because sometimes it's hard work and you just want to stop. But, um, yeah, to teach 
it teaches that determination as well. Okay. So it, uh, for those who are a bit sick of Zumba and are looking for alternatives, <laughs> it does give you a decent uh, workout, gives you yeah, good for your physical fitness Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Good core strength. Good core strength. And what's your favourite karate move? You don't oh, have to do it right I, now. You can just walk us through I it. Have, I don't know if <laughs> I have a specific move as such, but I do enjoy sparring. Um, so that's the fighting and, I, you know, enjoy the scrappy sparring where you can get in and I can get in underneath people's guard. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, what sparring? Okay, what what's sparring? What are you doing with your hands? And So hand, hands up on guard to protect yourself. You're punching, you're kicking. Um, so that's against an opponent as opposed to doing moves by yourself. Okay, so you're sparring, you've got your hands up like next to your mouth or face or where, um, where so do they yeah, sit? Sort of in, in front of you, you don't want it too close because okay. then if they hit you, you'll hit yourself. Yeah, true, 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 true. Okay. But in, in front of you, protecting yourself, so if they try and hit you, you can stop them. Okay. And then you dominant yeah. hand or not dominant hand? Wh- which one both. do you normally? Hopefully okay. you can use both. Hopefully. But which one do you go first with? Is there one that you need to hit first with? or Not specifically. Quite often you'll go dominant first. Okay. But you want to mix it up to keep it interesting so they don't know what you're going to do next. True, okay. <laughs> very true. So I imagine that uh, if people are thinking of stealing your handbag in the street, don't do it. Not a good think idea. Again. Not, <laughs> Not a, good a good idea. idea. So some self-defense as well. Absolutely. Multiple benefits. Yeah. yeah. And as a sensei, you're now teaching others. Is that uh, yes. Yeah. So I don't have my own class at the moment. Mm-hmm. I did before I went to Israel, mm. but I'm assisting with the other classes up in the hills. Excellent. Yeah. Wow. What a what a great thing to be involved in. Uh, I'm. I don't know too many other. Well, I definitely don't know any senseis, I don't think. Yeah, no, I don't either. So, uh, yeah, respect to you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's just because you don't want to get in a fight, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm getting the closest, yes. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what other things do you get up to besides riding and karate and what else do you get up to? So I've got my own um, online um, blog, I guess you could call it, um, okay. called The Unapologetic, yeah. which I stream live to youtube and facebook and that's just a bit of a um short bible teaching from whatever i um you know read during the week and just want to share with other people okay uh spell it out for us because it's a little um div- i wrote in uh, lowercase <laughs> rather than uppercase okay, yeah so the unapologetic so mm-hmm. i do it capital u lowercase n capital a P-O-L, I'm just trying to remember how to spell an apologetic now. That's okay. We, we, we <laughs> got the gist of what I was trying to get across <laughs> of the capital, yeah. you know, in capital A. Uh, in, it's in it's it. a play on words with apologetics, which is um, the defense of your view or the defense of a Christian faith. So explaining your your theology, basically. Yeah, yeah all, all one, one word, word. unapologetic. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, okay. yeah, play on that word and also being unapologetic about who you are, about what you believe in. Nice. And so that's uh, had a few people tuning in and listening. Has it been a passion of yours? Um, yeah, so I've been doing that for about six, seven months now. Mm. Just started recently on YouTube for the people who don't have Facebook. Right. But, um, yeah, it's good fun. Yeah. Excellent. It's been wonderful. Thank you for chatting with us today. Really appreciate you sharing your story with us and everything you've gotten up to. But our final question in the last couple of minutes of our show is if you had one piece of advice to share to those who are listening today, 
what would that be? It would be to just give it a go. Don't let anyone tell you you can't. People have told me I can't many times and I didn't listen to them. And I think when you just give things a go, you never know where that will lead up. Great That's advice. That's yeah. Wonderful. Fantastic. Well, you've lived that out. You can mm. see through your story. And uh, mm. we should mention too, you've just taken on a new uh, venture just in the last few weeks as well. Yes. I am the new chaplain for the Mount Barker Hospital. Fantastic. Well done. Congratulations. So Thank you. Giving that a crack as well. Yeah. yeah. Taking your own advice. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. This has been Life Burst. You can catch up with us wherever you get your podcasts from or on YouTube and Facebook as a video as well. Big hello if you're watching this on uh, television or listening on hillsradio.com.au as well. This has been Life Burst. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. It is so wonderful that you could join us. So tune in next time. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman with production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshra Ozadigan. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a Rawcut production.